Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. I'll be reading from uh, Philippians 4 this morning. Uh, feel free to flick to verse 10 of Philippians 4, which should be along s- uh, on the screen as well if you'd like to read and follow there. Philippians 4, verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Henny. Good morning, everyone. My name's Ben. If we haven't met before, uh, and it's good to be here. Hey, that uh, series that Henny was talking about, we had confirmed this week. We've got uh, a couple of people coming to do some talks at that. So the second one, Questioning Christianity. There's a book out there that you can find called Questioning Christianity by a guy called Dan Patterson, and he lives in Brisbane, and he's coming to do the talk for us on that day. That should be really exciting and good. Uh, And then we've got uh, Dave Myers from Open Doors doing the third talk there about why would God allow suffering. Um, You're left with me and Ross in the other two ones in that series, but all of them should be good. And I just want to encourage you, if you've been praying for the people in your life this week, we did that last week. Uh, If you've been praying this week, uh, chances are that you've seen people in your life. That's what I often find. You You pray for people and God puts them in your life. And I wonder this week if God's going to put some people in your life to invite to that series. Let's pray though now, and then um, we'll hook into this passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before your word, we ask now that you would speak to us. God, our expectation is that you would speak to us, because this is your word. It's living and active. And so we pray that whatever we need this morning, that you would do to us, that by the power of your spirit, that you would work among us, that you would challenge us if, if we need challenging, and you would comfort us if we need comforting. And we pray that whatever happens right now, that we would meet with the living God, hear your word, and be transformed by it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So this article came out on the 25th of January. It was doing the rounds, uh, in case you missed it. It was on the ABC. It says this, Crypto pastor admits to fraud on video, claims the Lord told me to remodel house with funds. Now, if you missed it, there's a little bit to unpack in this article. Uh, It was a good one. I've got to admit, for me personally, I'm always looking out for these types of articles uh, when it involves the church and money. I'm interested in that, but even I've got to admit that this was the first of its kind. And so I, of course, clicked on it and found everything that I could on it. And basically, the story is this. So this guy is an online pastor, so there's that. He's, uh, he's also a prosperity gospel preacher, so that is, uh, the prosperity gospel is this idea that if you believe, you'll receive. If you have enough faith, that you'll get health, wealth, and prosperity. We'll unpack that a little bit later in the sermon, but, but there's that. But basically, what this guy did is he used his influence to get people to invest in his cryptocurrency. So uh, in 2021, he started a cryptocurrency, and uh, that was 2021, if you remember, that was on the back of the kind of the COVID lockdowns, we were all going a bit crazy, probably spent too much time on the internet uh, in those years. And so crypto went boom, and he decided this would be a good time to shine, and so created a cryptocurrency, used his influence, and uh, there was about $4.9 million invested into his cryptocurrency. Um, After five months, of course, we all got outside, and the bubble popped, and cryptocurrency lost a lot of money, including this one. And he claimed that he was going through poverty, but he was actually doing quite well for himself, so much so that two years later, he is now on trial for fraud. Uh, that, that's where he's up to. Uh, he's on trial for fraud. And, um, and so th- this is going on, but, but he decided in the middle of this, in January, to come clean on social media. Now, uh, this is what he said. This is, this is good, okay? This is what he said, right? On social media, you can find this video, I'm sure, out there. This is what he said, the charges are that Caitlin and I, his, his wife, have pocketed $1.3 million. He admitted, I just want to come out and say that those, those charges are true. We took God at his word and sold a cryptocurrency with no clear exit. Just to be clear, that's not in God's word, okay? But that's what he's saying. So where did they spend his money, uh, this money? He said, a few hundred thousand dollars went to a home remodeled that the Lord told us to do, he said. And then I love the little comment by the person writing the article, his face showing little emotion. <laughs> there you go. Uh, a pastor. Now, again, the, the Bible doesn't say that. Okay, God's word does not say that. But here he is. Now, look, this, this article might be you know, unique in many ways. But of course, we know that when it comes to money and the church, the relationship is complicated and complex. And if it's not this, it's something else. Every few months, whether it's someone with crypto or someone buying a jet or whatever else it is, the reality is when it comes to the church, speaking about money, it's complicated, it's complex, it's messy. And then you add into it the reality of, of how we're feeling, the, the moment that we're in, the present moment in our society... And it does raise a pretty big question. And the question is, why are we talking about it? Right? Like, if if it's so complicated and complex and messy, why are we going to talk about it? Right? Like, especially if you consider the the present moment that we're in. I mean, especially if you consider the fact that now that we are talking about money and you know that we're talking about money, I mean, I reckon, what, one-third of us probably wish we didn't come here this morning because we're talking about money. It's complicated. It's messy. Why are we doing it? Well, this is what we're going to look at. We're going to look at this today as we open up God's Word and dig into it. And, and to be clear, the reason we're talking about it is because it's in God's Word, right? That's why we're doing it. 
But what we're going to see as we look at this is the the reason we're talking about money is because in this passage, in these 10 verses, we're going to see four reasons why we should think about money and talk about money, and, and if we can be so bold, even see why it's good for us to do so. Okay, so if you have your Bibles there, pick them up, open them up. We're going to have a look at chapter 4, verse 10, and we see the first reason why we're talking about money is because content, contentment is elsewhere. So let's have a look at this in verse 10. He says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So why are we talking about money? Well, the first reason is because contentment is found elsewhere. That's what he's speaking about here. Contentment is found elsewhere. Contentment is not found in your circumstances. That's what he's going to show us. It's not found in your circumstances. It's found elsewhere. Now, you you can see that he's addressing money, right? You can see that. He's talking to the Philippian church, and he's saying to them, "You, you cared for me, but you didn't just say you were caring for me. You backed that up with your giving. Right? And, and we'll see what that looked like in, uh, as we go through this passage. But they gave to Paul so he could go on and do his mission work. And he's saying, you, you cared for me in this. But what he wants to show them is that when it comes to things like giving and receiving and thinking about money, he wants to show them that contentment is not found in money. Contentment is found elsewhere. And so the question that we must ask is, what is contentment then? And where is it found? What is contentment and where is it found? Well, well, if we've been tracking with what Paul's been saying in Philippians, and particularly last week, what's ringing in my ears is this idea of the peace of God. You know, the peace that surpasses understanding. That was last week. The peace of God, we saw that last week. And so I think in, in light of what Paul's been saying about peace, what we could say is contentment is this. Contentment is an inner peace, whatever circumstances you're in. That's what contentment is, an inner peace, whatever circumstances you're in, particularly financial circumstances. It's an inner peace. And so, so the question is then, where is contentment found? Well, what Paul wants to show them is it's not found in money. It's not found in your circumstances. Now, this is important that we think about this this morning, because this is a countercultural idea, right? If you've been listening to the world around us, um, pretty much online, every Week, I reckon, there's something that blows up, that gets lots of likes and lots of views, whether it's a post or on a forum or a video, whatever it is, and basically what, what our world is saying right now is there's a problem with finances, right? Like, it, you know, whether it's tax laws, whether it's minimum wage, whether it's bosses, whatever it is, there's, there's often stuff about finances and it, it goes viral and it goes everywhere. I don't know if you've noticed that. But it's, it's online. It's everywhere. Um, probably the most famous in the last five months was a video by this guy. I don't know if you saw this. This guy's name is Oliver uh, Anthony. And he wrote this song, Rich Men of Richmond. This song on this channel on Thursday had 110 million views and on Saturday 117 million views. And it's not even his channel. So his channel has a whole, a whole bunch of others as well. Um, and, and basically this song, it's, uh, if you haven't seen it, there is... There are some adult themes in this song. Uh, there, you know, he swears and stuff like that. But the heart of this song is basically, it's this, 
It's this country, almost country song where he sings from the heart and what he's saying is, I'm working to the bone and life is hard and, and, and that's happening while the rich guys live it up. Now, it is quite a profound song. It's, it's quite moving when you watch this uh, song. But it, it's interesting because you can see how many people have viewed it and commented on it and, uh, it, yeah, it's all, it was all over the internet. But there's something wrong with it. And it's, it's not the problem. You see, our world is not... that We can identify the problem, right? But the problem that our world has is, is trying to figure out where the solution is. Now, this is not, to be very clear this morning, this is not a comment on anything to do with finances, actually. It's not a comment on tax laws. It's not a comment on the rich. It's not a comment on anything like that. This is a comment on contentment. And what Paul wants us to see this morning is... Contentment is not found in just solving your circumstances. It's not found in solving the financial problems that you're in. In fact, if you're discontent in your circumstances, you change your circumstances and you will still be discontent. Now, again, I think we notice this if you look around our world. Right? I mean, do you ever wonder how sports stars, celebrities, people out there have so much money and often are so discontent? You know, I think of Jim Carrey's famous quote uh, where he said, I wish everyone could have everything they ever dreamed of and realize it's not the answer to anything. A guy that had wealth and had everything was still discontent, and we see this all the time. I think we can see from the world around us that contentment is not found in circumstances, and yet the lie that we're fed is, if you can just solve your circumstances, you will be content. But Paul's showing us something different. He's showing us that inner peace does not come from your circumstances, it comes from elsewhere. So where is contentment found? Well, Paul said it there. He said, I can do all things through him who strengthened me. For Paul, his inner peace comes from the reality of understanding Jesus. And particularly what we saw last week. You know, we're not detaching this from last week's passage. We saw that last week. Remember last week we were looking at this where Ross gave us this helpful illustration of the peace that guards our heart, the Roman guard around the city. And, uh, and, and the, the image was we just need eyes to see that the Lord is near. You know, that was, that was my prayer all of this week pretty much. Lord, give me eyes to see that you are near me. And, and, and this is what gives Paul this inner peace, this contentment. It's, it's understanding that the Lord is near. There's another illustration, I think, that helps in the middle of this too, because when we grasp that the Lord is near, there is a, there, there is a reality that we have peace and contentment. You know, I, I think of this. So uh, a few years ago, I played cricket, and uh, I wasn't very good at cricket, and my team wasn't very good at cricket, but because of that, I wanted to be good at cricket, and every time I played, I felt like this deep anxiety, because I pretty much knew I was going out to fail. Right? And our team, we, were, we weren't good, we were bad as well, and, and so for a long time, we hardly won any games. But at some point, a couple years in, a friend of a friend came and played for us, and he grew up playing for Australia. So he was like, you know, toured the world playing for Australia. For whatever reason, didn't want to play cricket uh, as an adult, but he would come and play for us. And the first time I realized that he was going to play for us, the, the peace that I felt, like, honestly, we were, like, it, I knew we were going to win. And this guy hadn't played cricket for like seven years. And the first time he played, no joke, right? Like my highest score, I think, was like 17 at that point. He hadn't played for seven years. Comes, scores 100, takes five wickets, and we won. <laughs> but 
here's the thing, right? Like, and he played for us, like, not regularly. We, we asked him every week, but he, he didn't come and play for us every week. But um, whenever he did, and we knew that he was, oh, man, like, I was calm. Now, even if you don't know sport, you know this. You know, you think of a child with, you know, when their parent's nearby, or you think about, you know, that, that feeling of walking at night and someone else is with you? We know this feeling, right? In real time, we know this feeling because the truth is when you know the strong guys on your team and with you, there actually is a peace. Now, this is what Paul's getting at. He's, he's saying the Lord is near. He's not far off. He's near. The strong guys with you on your team. And the strong guys, not just like God is not just this like transcendent God that's far off. No, he's close. So you think like the God who made the world is close. He's near. The God who put the stars in the galaxies, he's, he's near. The God who owns the cows on a thousand hills, who numbers the sparrows and knows when one falls. The God who clothes the lilies of the field and feeds the birds of the air, he is near. He's close. And if we can have eyes to see this, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, when I see this truth, I know that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Whether it's a lot and I got a lot, or whether I'm living in poverty, whether I'm going through chaos or I'm in calm, when I grasp that the Lord is near, there is an inner peace. Now, for us this morning, this is why we need to talk about this. Because the truth is, contentment is not found in circumstances. Again, if you're discontent in your circumstances, you change the circumstances, you'll be discontent there as well. Contentment is found in Jesus. And if we can have eyes to see Jesus, what Paul's saying is we can do anything through him who strengthens me. So, so the first thing we've got to see this morning is the Lord is near. And contentment is in grasping this truth that the Lord is near. But as we keep reading, this isn't the only reason we've got to talk about this. Because as Paul goes on, what we see is the second reason is that the impact is eternal. So let's have a look at this. He says this in verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel... When I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So the second reason we've got to talk about this is because the impact is eternal. Do you notice there, Paul's saying to the Philippian church, it was good of you to share in my troubles. And, and what he's speaking about here is the reality that the Philippian church gave when no other church did. You notice that? I mean, he's even a pastor in Thessalonica, and the Philippian church is still giving to Paul in that ministry. And, and what Paul's speaking about here is this reality that Paul was able to go on mission because the Philippian church were giving to that. That's the partnership language. He spoke about this in chapter 1, if you remember. It's this idea that the Philippian church are giving, and Paul is going, and because Paul is going, there's an impact that's spread around the world for Jesus. And, and he says there, right, in verse 14, he says, it was good of you to do this. And so, of course, we've got to think about, okay, so why was it good of them to share in this? Well, it was good of them to share in this because of what Paul's been speaking about the whole time. You know, Paul's heart was that everyone knows Jesus. You know, he, he said that a number of times. And the reason for that is I think Paul gets that this life is not all that there is. 
You know, he, he grasps that heaven and hell are real and eternity is a long time. You know, that's why he can say, I'm in chains for Christ. That's why he can say things like, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's why he gave us that beautiful picture in chapter 2 that Jesus, although he had everything, became nothing so that we could have everything. And one day every knee will bow. Paul lives his whole life for Jesus, knowing that Jesus is what matters more than anything else. And he's driven by that reality. He knows that eternity is a long time. And so he's living for that end. And, and to the church in Philippi, they're sharing in this trouble. And it's good of them to do so. Their impact is eternal. Now, again, we need to think about this reality, I think, because uh, the truth is, in our world right now, people don't live with eternity on their mind. Now, that makes sense, right? Like, um, if you don't believe in heaven and hell, it makes sense that you're not living, understanding that reality. And, and so the narrative then is that what's here in front of us is all that there is. Now, that makes sense. If you don't believe in eternity, it makes sense that you're living for here and now because you're sensing that this is all that I've got. So, and it's interesting, right? The author of Ecclesiastes said this. If there is no God, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So, so this is what the world says to us, right? Live for here and now. But what we need to do is we need to try and think in our head and remind ourselves day in, day out that heaven and hell are real. And that we're not living for this moment, we're living for eternity. So how do we do that? Well, one of the questions that provokes me to think about this is this. In eternity, right, so let's picture this. In eternity, can you think about this question? In eternity, what will we think of our life? Have you ever wondered that? Like 10,000 years from now, what are we going to think about this moment? You know, it's fascinating to me because... In our world, it appears that the older you get, the quicker you say time goes. Have you noticed this? That um, people who are older tend to look back on their life and say how quickly it went. And for those of us who are younger, we, not that I'm younger really, but we need to listen to this truth. Because the older you get, the quicker life appears to go. Now, if you have kids, you get this all the time. Right? Like this is just, this is, I feel like this is the message people are, saying, are singing to me, right? I get this once a week. I get this week, I was at the library in a foyer with Scout, our six month year old, screaming his lungs out in a library, right? Like I'm trying to put him to sleep because he's tired. That's why he's screaming. And an old lady walks past me in that moment and says, oh, enjoy it while, while, it's, while they're young. <laughs> Time flies. And I'm looking at her like I'm hot and sweaty, and he's screaming, and I'm like, I would do anything to get out of this moment. <laughs> Not the best time to say that, but I do have to listen to that, because everyone seems to say that. Once you get older, everyone seems to look back on particularly little children and say, enjoy it, because the time flies. Now, here's the interesting thing, right? If in this life, you can get to the point where you look back on this life and say it was short. What are we going to think in eternity? Like 10,000 years from now, what are we going to think about this life? You know, I think we're going to realize some things probably didn't matter as much as we thought they did. But I also think we're going to wish that we spent our time and our skills and our treasures differently. 
Now, Paul's saying here, it was good of you to share in my trouble because the impact is eternal. So let's think about this. The Philippian church were the only church that gave. What would have happened if they didn't? Right? Like, what would happen if the Philippian church didn't give to Paul? Do we not have half the New Testament? Does the message of Jesus not go out? Now, of course, you can step back from that and go, well, God could do whatever he wants. Sure, he can do whatever he wants, but he works through people. So he worked through the Philippian church. You know, like their giving was an indirect result of the New Testament that we have in front of us. Their impact was eternal. But of course, this is not just here in the book of Philippians or in the Bible, of course this is actually true right throughout history, that when you give to what God is doing, the reality is, is, is that it's eternal. The impact is eternal. And I think it's worth thinking about that here at our church, right, here at Southside, because the truth is many people over the years have given in big ways and small ways to Southside, and the, one of the challenges is you don't get to see your investment rising, you know? It'd be nice if you did, but you don't. It's not like a bank account where you see your investment going up or shares or crypto, you don't see your investment rising, but the truth is, if you've invested, if you've partnered with Southside financially, the impact is eternal. So, you know, there are people in this room right now who have gone through some of the most difficult seasons of our lives, supported here at Southside by our church community, and the reality is, if you partnered in that, you indirectly helped that happen. Or you think about, you know, some of us have our closest friends here at Southside. And we met them at Southside, and, and we grew in our friendship here. The, the reality is if you partnered with us, you helped make that happen. Or, you know, people became Christians in our church. People have been baptized in our church who became Christians here in this building. If you partnered with us here at Southside, you helped make that happen. And, like, think about it. Like, what would you pay for someone to become a Christian? Now, I know it doesn't work like that. But if you've financially partnered with this church, you've helped make that happen. Or of course, right, let's think about our kids. You know, because we're getting to that point where more graduates from youth grew up in this church. They, they were at creche and kids' church and youth. And the truth is we can actually partner with helping them see the life-saving message of Jesus. And I think when we get this truth, we begin to see why we would even think about finances. Why we would talk about finances. Because... It puts eternity on our minds, and it helps us see that what we can do with our money is not just for here and now, but for eternal realities. And if you ask me, there's nothing better we can give towards. So why are we talking about this? Well, it's because contentment is found elsewhere, but also it's because your impact is eternal. So that's the first two. Third, let's keep reading, because there's two more. The third one that we read, we've got contentment is elsewhere, Impact eternal. The, the third one is the investment is rewarding. Let's pick this up in verse 17 because it's, it's interesting. I don't know if you've thought about this before, but let's pick it up. He says this, Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received the gifts uh, from Epaphroditus, the gifts that you sent. Okay, so let, let's stop here. The third reason is the investment is rewarding. Um, Paul here is saying, do, do you catch that? Paul's saying, I'm not saying this for me. You notice that? I'm not saying this for me. I've got more than enough. What's he saying? Verse 17, he's saying, I'm not desiring your gifts. I'm desiring that more is credited to your account. Have you ever thought about that? 
Okay, so, so what does it mean that more be credited to your account? Well, let's start with what it doesn't mean. Yeah, let's start with what it's not. So the first thing this is not is this is not the prosperity gospel. That's where we started and talked about that. So this is not believe and you will receive. You know, if you have enough faith, then you can have enough money in this life. This is not what it's saying. You can't get there. I mean, look at, look at Paul. He's just said, I've had nothing at times. Did Paul not have enough faith? Jesus often was homeless. You know, we don't know how long, but Jesus didn't have much money. John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. The prophets often died. If you get to the prosperity gospel, you get there because you haven't read the Bible. You can't look at these guys and say, you just need to have enough faith and then you will have enough money. Look at the heroes of our faith. They didn't have anything. So the prosperity gospel is not what he's saying here. He's also not saying that this is your ticket to heaven. Now again, this has been a message throughout history that if you just give enough, then you can get your ticket to heaven. But this is not what it's saying. In fact, in the Bible, if you see how we get to heaven, um, throughout the Bible, the image that we're given is that we are in an infinite debt and nothing we do can pay for that. And so the, the picture is, because of our sin, the wrong that we've done, the fact that we've rebelled and ignored God, we are in this position where before an infinite and holy God, we are in an infinite debt and we can't do anything to fix that debt. And so how do we make that right? Well, we don't make that right. Jesus made it right. Because he was infinitely rich, but gave everything up, so that through his poverty we could become rich. And so we are saved, we get to heaven by trusting and depending on Jesus alone. So nothing we do earns our way to heaven. Not our good works, not our giving. Okay, so this is not prosperity gospel. This is not saying this is your ticket to heaven. So what is it saying? Well, I think in verse 17, what Paul's speaking about here is what Jesus spoke about when he said, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, store them up in heaven. Or what Paul says in a moment, we'll look at this as well, when Paul says, "Those uh, you will reap what you sow. And I think the idea that he's getting at here is this, you're saved by Jesus alone, but from that moment when we're saved by Jesus alone, there's a sense that God sees what we do, and what we've been given, and he rewards us for that. Now, we don't know the mechanics of how this is going to work, but look at the verse. And I think when you look at the New Testament, you see this over and over again. There's a sense you've got to be responsible with what you've been given. And Paul's saying, I'm not desiring this for me. I'm desiring this for you, because when you give spiritually in eternity, you will reap what you sow. The investment is rewarding. Now, now here, again, this is why I think we've got to keep talking about money. There's a big reason why. It, and, and, and you think about it, right? Like, the, the reality is when you consider money and the church, there's every reason not to talk about this. You know, like, you look at our world, you look at around us, you look at the news, you think about, you know, I mean, pretty much, how many people come here this morning with baggage of church and money, Right? there's all sorts of issues, and then you look at the news and you got a guy in crypto, you got a pastor buying jets, you, you got all this stuff, every second day this stuff comes out, it feels. There's every reason not to talk about this. And it's not just out there, it's also in here. You know, it's, it's interesting, last year we did a survey of our church, and if you were here with us, you participated in this, and if you weren't, well, we're going to try and do this again this year. And the survey was looking at all sorts of things at church, and particularly how you're feeling and all that sort of stuff, 
And I'd love to share with you some of the data that we got out there. The question was this. We should talk more about giving in the Sunday service. That's the question. And the results are pretty much divided in the middle. Okay, so uh, 4% said strongly disagree that we should talk more about this. 7% said strongly agree. 21% said disagree. 20% said agree. And 48% sat on the fence and said neither agree nor disagree. Now, if you take the fence sitters out of there, what you're essentially left with is the fact that one in four people think we should not talk more about money, and one in four think we should talk more about money. That's where we're at. And so if you're a family of four, you know, you've got one who wants to, one who doesn't, and two sitting on the fence. Now, if you ask me this morning, should we talk about more about giving on, on, in the Sunday service, do you know what I'm saying? Strongly disagree. That's what I'm feeling right now. I don't want to talk about money. In fact, Jesse picked Philippians before he left us to go to New South Wales. He wanted to preach on this, but he decided he wasn't going to finish the book. <laughs> so we decided we would finish the book because it's a good thing to finish the book. And so we split into three talks and they were going to be Ross's talks. And no joke, at the start of January, I looked at that and I thought, sucked in, Ross. <laughs> but in God's providence, Ross got sick this week and lost his voice until Friday. Apparently, there's no, no one's confirmed that to me. And so on Wednesday, when I found out that I had to do this talk, I am not even lying. You can ask Elizabeth, my wife, or anyone in the office. I reckon it took me about an hour to get out of my slump. I wanted to do anything but this. But when you look at what Paul is saying in verse 17, what I was convicted by was the fact that I think I was being a little bit of a coward and selfish. Because what Paul's saying is, we're not talking about money for me. I'm talking about money for you. Paul's saying, whatever the season, whatever the reason, whatever your feeling, whatever your ideas are, the point of talking about money is not for my benefit, it's for your benefit. The main reason we think about this is because it's credited to your account. You know, I love the way uh, one scholar put it in a commentary, a book on Philippians. He said it like this. The only money you take with you when you die is the money you've given away. The only money you take with you when you die is the money you've given away. Is that not profound? You know, I, I think that what's going to happen in, in eternity is you're going to ask me why we didn't do this more. And I'm going to be convicted about this too. This is why you see this in the Bible. This is why Paul speaks about it. He's saying, it's not for me. I've got enough. But when you give, more is credited to your account. The investment's rewarded. So number one, contentment's elsewhere. Number two, the impact is eternal. Number three, the investment is rewarding. Finally, last one, is because God is pleased. So let's have a look at this. He's just speaking about money, right? I've, I've received full payment. He said this, but then look at it. Halfway through verse 18, he says, They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And the end bit, if you've got your Bibles there, from 21 to 23, is him, him saying, greet everyone pretty much. 
But, but here it is in, in, at the end of verse 18 there, this idea that, that our gifts are pleasing to God. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, or perhaps even if you're not, whenever you see that something in the Bible says what you can do pleases God, this is one of those things that you underline, you highlight, you commit to memory. He's saying that this is pleasing to God. And so what's he speaking about here? Well, he's using imagery from the Old Testament, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. And, and when you think about that, throughout the Old Testament, what is an acceptable sacrifice is not just going to the temple and doing your thing. What's an acceptable sacrifice is when it comes from your heart. God was not just interested in people's actions. He wanted their hearts. And so that's what an acceptable sacrifice is. And so when we think about this, when we give from our heart, this is pleasing to God. Or, or this is kind of like what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 7. You can see it on the screen where he's speaking about money again. He says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When we give, not reluctantly, but cheerfully, this pleases God. Now, how do we understand this idea? How do we, how do we picture this and, and get this in our head? Well, I think Paul gives us a hint to this in verse 20 where he speaks about God our Father. Because this is the imagery that we're supposed to understand with our relationship with God. That we are in the family and we have this opportunity to please our Father in heaven. So it's kind of like this, I think. You know, if we think about um, families and when parents can give their kids gifts. So recently it was Christmas, or well, recently it was Christmas, um, but if you can picture that, this is kind of the picture here, right? Um, so uh, in our house, it was, Poppy's now three, and in our house, it was kind of the first time that she understood Christmas a little bit more, you know? And the best thing about a three-year-old is you can basically, you know, sp- spend very little money, but wrap it all up, and every present's exciting. And it's beautiful. It was like this lavish moment at Christmas, and we love like, I love giving gifts to Poppy. She's so good at her reactions. It's a beautiful thing to see. But this year was the first time in our house that we also had Scout. Now, Scout at that point was you know, essentially a, a blob that's, that's sleeping. Um, but there are a couple of moments when Poppy would get gifts and then want to share them with, Pop, with, with Scout. And, and it's funny because it's like your first thought is, that's dangerous, <laughs> get away from your baby brother. But there's something really beautiful when your kids want to share what they've been given. Now, you see the picture here, right? So it's not that if Poppy shared her gifts, we love her more, or if she doesn't, she's out of the family. It's not even the question. No, we want to be generous to her because we love, as, as a father, love generously giving to her, and then we love seeing her use her gifts to share with others. I, I think this is the image that Paul's giving us here. This is how we can please God, because when we're in his family, we start to grasp that everything we have has been given to us by God. Anyway, like everything, like God is a generous, he has generously given us all things. He, he's been lavishly generous to us. You know, our Father in heaven, everything we have has been given to us by God. You know, do do you see this? Like, it's not just what we have in Jesus. Of course, that's the most generous that God has been. Christ gave up everything for us. But everything we also have, like physically, the stuff that we have, 
is a gift that God has given us. Nothing you have was not given to you by God. You know, you can think, well, I worked hard for what I've got. Well, your ability to work hard was given to you by God. You can think, well, I studied hard to get to where I got. Well, your ability to think was given to you by God. You you can think, I strategized and I got... The opportunities you have were given to you by God. There's nothing you have that was not given to you by God. You did not decide to be born in the country that you were born in or the place that you were placed in. And for many of us, the opportunities we have just kind of fell into our lap and it happened. We didn't, we didn't do it. Everything we have has been given to us by God. And that's not something to feel bad about. I mean, we looked at this last week. We're meant to be thankful that God has lavishly been generous to us. But when we grasp that what I've been given was not what I deserved, but a a lavish gift from a generous father, it's then that we can respond in generosity. And not just for the sake of responding in generosity, but because when we do this, it pleases our Father in heaven. And so the, the reason we think about this, the reason we've got to think about this, is because we can please our Father in heaven. And the more that you understand our Father in heaven... The more you understand how beautiful and awesome God is, this is a desire that flows from that reality. So why are we talking about money? Well, there it is. Four reasons why we've got to keep talking about money. And I love the way that Paul says it. So we'll finish with this. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is more be credited to your account because they are a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your lavish generosity to us. We did not deserve your gifts. Father, all we bring to the table is an infinite debt. And yet, you've been so kind to us in so many different ways. And we praise you for this. We thank you for your generosity. God, we ask that from our hearts you would help us see how generous you've been and respond to this. We pray particularly, Lord, that you would give us the eyes to see what's unseen. Help us see that you are near and help us see the eternal realities and help us live for this end, not caught up in the lies that we're fed here and now, but living for the spiritual realities that we find in Jesus. So give us this grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.